This is Dolio, an original thriller fiction podcast presented in serialized format, a chapter at a time. Written by Jared Canton, narrated by Joshua Canton, a Steady Chaos production, 2019. Previously, on Dolio. The tall man in blue returned. By now, it was clear he was a beat cop. You saved that baby, he said after a bewildering pause. He had a curious look on his face, as if he were sizing me up. And the guy? I asked. I figured you'd ask that. Nobody could have saved him. He was the grandfather. Died of a heart attack. It probably caused the accident. I nodded. You sure you're okay, man? I nodded again, wiggling the foot of my injured leg. The swelling had subsided some, and my range of motion had mostly returned. According to witnesses and paramedics, you were run over by a car, stung three dozen times and buried under scaffolding. It's incredible what you went through for that little girl. If he only knew of my condition, sacrifice would prove far less significant. My condition, my history of failed efforts and heroism, they both mitigated this apparent victory. Every victory. And still, despite my best efforts, a man was dead. He shook his head and exhaled at my silence. <sighs> you should go to the hospital. Get checked out, man. When your adrenaline wears off, you're gonna be in a world of hurt. I'm good. With one final nod, I stole a glance at the carnage of the scene before burying it at my back. Another tragic event. Another brutal reminder. This world is a reliable abundance of cruelty and tragedy. Episode 8. Ghosts. Deep maroon brick framed two-inch thick glass doors at the front of my condo building. James pulled the right open for me as I strode through with a nod. Evening, Mr. Daniels. He used the back of an extended arm to hold the door ajar as I slid through. Ryder, I reminded him for the umpteenth time. He was a good ten years my elder, and we'd grown pretty close over the years. It didn't feel right for him to address me so formally. Sorry, sir. How's Henry? I asked. Good, sir. He made varsity. That's amazing. I'll have to get over to a game this season. He'd like that. You'd take him to the Seas game last week? Sure did, sir. He paused, corrected himself. Ryder, thanks again for the tickets. I nodded. My pleasure. I'm glad he enjoyed it. I limped a few strides and stopped in my tracks, letting James pass. He was African-American and about six foot one, I estimated, as we were roughly the same height. He stood rigidly upright, his posture complementing his profession perfectly. He had short hair, trimmed carefully around a chiseled face that was always clean-shaven, almost suggesting that he didn't grow facial hair to begin with. His work uniform was polyester and on the flamboyant side. I couldn't imagine he was comfortable donning it, and it likely contributed to his making only sporadic eye contact with anyone. He slid a few paces to his left after I crossed through the door and hurried to the elevator hitting the up button a full four count before I reached it myself. When I finally did reach it, it beeped, and the door slid open. I stepped in carefully, still not sure of the extent of my leg injury. Thanks, James, for the littlest one, I said as I handed him a $20 bill. Money wasn't an issue for me despite my modest salary. Peripheral legal writing work helped, and Dad had been thrifty with his substantial wealth. Thanks, Mr. Daniels. Ryder. Sorry, sir. He persisted with formalities as the elevator doors pressed shut, separating us with a wall of reflective steel. 
My eyes rose to the numbers as they bounced upward to indicate each passing floor. When the yellow light shifted to the final number listed, 20, the doors slid open and I stepped out onto the hardwood landing. Scant decorations, including a cherry desk, gaudy mirror, and inauthentic Native American-themed crafts littered the area. There were only two lofts on this floor, the one we had purchased and another opposite mine that had been purchased by a local athlete that used it sporadically during the NBA season. The price tag had proven hefty, but I had nearly no debt considering Dad's investments had paid for my education. I had also contributed a few chapters to a criminal law textbook endorsed by 42 bar associations across the United States. The text retailed at over $100 a pop and was required class material by most law schools. So I had the means and loved being in the thick of the city. Most of my co-workers assumed I was dirty. The rest figured I was a coddled rich kid. Only Grant and my direct manager knew of my father's sacrifices and my path to wealth. I swiped my keycard, an optional luxury offered by the community, and my door beeped and then clicked, signaling the latch release. I pushed the oversized door, and electric-propelled hinges eased it open. The door glided shut behind me long after I had arrived in the kitchen. I tossed my briefcase on the black marble countertop. The kitchen, almost exclusively stainless steel and black marble, appeared too bachelor at times, emotively neutral, bordering on cold. I pulled on the steel handle of the refrigerator and snagged the bottled water from inside. With a twist, the cap fell free in my hand, and I poured the contents down my throat. A few drips escaped from the corners of my mouth as the bottle crackled under pressure from my grip. I stepped on the lever to the trash can, and the top popped open long enough to slip the empty bottle under the lid. The main room of the penthouse was large, and the open-concept kitchen bled seamlessly into the living room. The floor was wide slat oak that extended diagonally from wall to wall. A rectangular breakfast bar separated the cooking space from the living area. Three stools, almost never used, edged the front of the bar. The opposite side, nearest the appliances, was used primarily for meal prep or, and much more frequently, for placing takeout cartons. An oversized white couch centered the living area. It faced a wall-mounted flat-screen television with a stout cherry entertainment center beneath it. To the left of the couch was an electric, modified, specialty lounge chair. At the couch's base, a geometrically themed brown and black rug covered an 8 foot by 10 foot area on the hardwood. The master bedroom was at the right, with an adjoining master bath and a walk-in closet. The bedroom floor was covered by an off-white, crisp, short carpeting, as was the closet. The walls in the closet were lined with cherry cabinets and shelves, for everything from shoes to suits to casual wear. The closet could have handled my wardrobe four times over, and even then, it still boasted the capacity to handle the wardrobe of the right partner, should she exist. I pawed at my torso, ran my hand along a series of welts and small cuts, lifted my pant leg to reveal a still-swollen calf. A memory flashed and I saw the baby, reheard her cries. I recalled the grandfather's still face, the rigidity of his body and the blood splashed across his front. I wondered if I'd grabbed him first, could I have changed outcomes? Mauled on the nature of choice, particularly my own, and how every decision we make cascades a ripple of consequence washing over our lives. Who to save first? To rush bread or not? Could I have retreated to dad? Escaped instead of engage? If I'd made a different choice, would I have a different life? Would I still have that man I remember, 
so full of spirit and goodness, explosively vibrant and alive. I moved slowly to the door of the guest bedroom. It rested open about four inches, and a blue light from a television illuminated my entry as it flashed bright before darkening between scene transitions. I pushed the door and let it glide open. The room felt dense with a heavy stillness. At the far corner, the back of a head adorned with thick graying hair, strong but slumped shoulders, and still arms came into view. The head aimed at the window, motionless, and beyond it city lights glimmered through the glass. The seated figure reacted slightly, slowly, then two elbows elevated far enough for thick, worn hands to grasp hard rubber wheels. The right hand pushed forward, and the chair made a half turn. A man's weary profile came into view. He pulled his hand back again, and then forced it down along the right side of the wheelchair once more. His body, crumpled lower half, wide shoulders, narrow midsection, traversed the final 90 degrees to face me. Late night? He asked. Yeah, Dad. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed Dolio, please come back for future episodes arriving at regular intervals, and subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast application. If you enjoyed this production, please visit the Steady Chaos Productions YouTube page and subscribe for more content from our production team.